listening to First Church Charlotte. Greetings, everyone. Pastor Nathan here. We love you. We miss you. I am going to be asking you to participate in an online survey uh, that will be posted the same time you're watching this on our church uh, social media page, primarily Facebook. Um, it may also be on the website, but I know for sure it's going to be on a Facebook church page. What it is, is it is a few questions asking you uh, where you are as far as ready to come back to church. Um, we know you want to come to church, but if you have, we're just trying to plan and we need your help to do that because we want to serve you. And so if you will help us by going online after this Bible study and participating in that, uh, we appreciate it very, very much. It will help us plan on our end. Uh, we are looking to have a service this Sunday. Watch our uh, website and our social media pages uh, for more information on that. There's a lot of concerns that are being brought to the fore. We want to do this in an appropriate manner. And so help us. Um, we're doing things we can do. We're uh, putting the same UV lights that they put in hospitals um, in our venting system, uh, HVAC vent, uh, return lines uh, to try to um, create as sterile an environment as possible. We will be following some social distancing uh, guidelines when we get back. Watch our uh, media pages for more information on all of that. Today I want to take a little bit of time and Consider, consider how God brings good out of difficult, painful, heartbreaking experiences. Uh, God has an amazing ability to recycle the negative in our life. And when he's done with it, something beautiful has come uh, out of it. In the, in the short term, it seems impossible. Uh, in the near term, it seems improbable. And yet God does God-like things. And when he's done, he has made things beautiful. But let's be fair and let's be honest. Um, in the near term, it can be very, very difficult uh, to perceive how anything good can come out of difficulty. Um, this whole situation we've had with the COVID virus, um, it has, many of you like me, we've hated much of it. Uh, and yet there is, there's an amazing ability that God will express through it to bring good out of it. And you can't talk along these lines without thinking of what Paul says in Romans chapter number eight. And he is, he's not being a Pollyanna here. He's not being someone who just is determined to see the good in all things. He's being uh, very, shall we say, honest. He's He's facing the music. Romans chapter 8, he talks about how um, creation itself is groaning. That doesn't sound like the language of someone who just wants to be positive about everything. Creation itself is groaning, going through, through pains like an expectant mother. And all creation is groaning for the change, the final change that, that God will bring. But if you continue in this, this passage... Uh, you'll get down to verses 35 and 36, and you'll, you'll, you'll start seeing how Paul is talking about all kinds of suffering, all kinds of danger, uh, even possible death that is, that is manifest 
uh, through the life of believers. It's not something that's just unbelievers, but the apostles themselves, the apostle Paul himself, their life will be testimonies, yes, and their life will demonstrate that the way of the Christian is not always, you know, a way of, of uh, uh, shall we say, everything going well. Uh, sometimes difficulty comes and struggles and pains are very, very much real. Um, and Paul is not saying these things in themselves that we go through that break us, that hurt us. He's not saying they in themselves are good. Tragedy is not good. Um, if you want to say it is, then what you're basically saying is, I'm going to define the word differently than the rest of you guys. Now, you can do that if you want, uh, but that's not how most people use the word. When people say tragedy, they, they mean something <laughs> that everybody mostly knows what they mean by. And as, as believers and Bible students, we can't just redefine a term and expect people to know what we are we are talking about. But verse 28, the Apostle Paul says this, and you all could quote this, all things work together for good. Now, you've heard much Bible teaching on that. Um, if you've been around our church for a while, you've heard it preached on several times. It works together for good. It's not necessarily in itself good. And there's a qualifier uh, for those who love the Lord and are called according to His purposes and His, his, uh, his, his work. Um, yes, we quote that a lot. We, we encourage ourselves with it. But I want to point out that verse number 29 is just as important as verse number 28. Um, as, as sincere students of Scripture, we can't get into the habit where we say, uh, this passage matters more than this one, or this verse matters more than this verse. That is doing what the Old Testament king did and sort of taking your pocket knife and picking the passages you like that fits your view uh, and kind of minimizing others. Verse 29 um, is just as important as verse 28. Now, let me remind you of verse 29. Again, most of you probably could quote this. Um, those who God foreknew, He also predestined to what? To be conformed to the image of His Son. To be conformed to the image of His Son. Now, this isn't, this isn't uh, doing away with you know, free will. This isn't creating some type of a theology where we humans are automatons and we're just programs and God's the programmer and we have no choice or input. That's, there are some people who want to read the Scripture this way, um, but really it flies in the face of every scripture in the Bible that is about repentance, that is about renewal. That's, that's not the right way uh, to interpret this. I, I, would, I would interpret this way, and this is just my language as, as a teacher, as a pastor, as a Bible student. Um, God's going to use everything in your life um, together. He's going to use it together, uh, and it's going to work for the good of the people who are manifesting His kingdom, His heart. This has always been God's plan. It was predestined from the beginning that God would have a people and they would be ordained, anointed, called, and purposed to do one thing, and that is to manifest the heart of God, to manifest the heart of God, to conform to the image of His Son. 
Now, okay, uh, there were no photos of Jesus. We're not talking in the terms of appearance. We're not talking in the terms of, you know, how did he cut his hair and did he or did he not have a beard? <clears throat> yes, Jesus probably had a beard. It would have been very notable in his time uh, for a man not to have a beard, particularly a Jewish man. Uh, we won't get into that. Uh, but so what, what is he saying? If we don't know what Jesus looked like, if we don't know how he styled his hair and, you know, <laughs> how long his beard was, what are we talking about? God has always ordained a plan whereby there would be a people here on this earth, uh, in this world that God loves so much. Here, there's always been a plan for God to use people to manifest His heart, His nature, His essence to the world. And because God has ordained from the very beginning that He was always going to have a people who would manifest His heart to the world, He is able to use everything in your life, every good thing, every bad thing, every victory, every defeat, even every tragedy. God is able to use that, not simply to make you the richest person in your neighborhood. That misses the point. That makes Christianity uh, super shallow. <laughs> it makes it petty even. He's going to use it to manifest His nature and His heart to the world. He was in all points tempted like as we are, and yet He was victorious. And through His victory, we become victorious through him. That's the gospel. But here's the, here's the take home, the takeaway for, for uh, each one of us. And that is this. God is going to use everything we go through, the good and the bad. And as we love him and as we commit to his purpose, he's going to use it to manifest his heart, his nature, his essence to the world. And this has always been his plan. This is what was formed from the very beginning. This is the fundamental element of why God would choose us and why God would be patient with us and why God would wrestle with us and contend with us and convict us and clean us up and set us on a highway, straighten us out and purpose us toward a calling, forgive us of the past and covenant and place us in the covenant of a new nature. This is fundamentally how the kingdom of God is um, working, demonstrated, illustrated to, to the world. And so if God's going to use everything that we go through, um, God's going to even use uh, situations like this, this COVID situation that we have lived through. Why is it so hard for us to see how God is using the bad in our life. It's easy how God is to see how God is using the good in our life. It's pretty straightforward. Um, when something good has happened to you, you want to tell everybody. You're like the woman at the well who runs through the city crying, come see a man who told me all about the old me, <laughs> who told me everything I ever did. Is not this the Christ? Um, when something amazing happens, it's easy to see how God uses that. When tragedy strikes, most of the time, it's difficult to see. Uh, first of all, because we're often struggling. In tragedy, we're, we're just putting one foot in front of the other. I mean, we, we are literally, you know, to use up all our cliches here, we're holding on. Um, so it's difficult to see how God can use that when you're in survival mode. 
Well, just so you know, a lot of pastors have been in survival mode for the last, what, nine, ten weeks. Uh, so this is, this is um, how, how could God use that? How could God use that? It's difficult to see how God does things and how God brings good out of things because often we don't, we either don't know what to look for or we cannot perceive what God is actually doing. Let me, let me tell you a real quick story that I think illustrates this. A Washington Post reporter um, by the name of Gene Weingarten actually won a Pulitzer Prize a few years back for a post he, um, an article he wrote for uh, the Post entitled Pearls Before Breakfast. And he, he did something, he did this experiment and every day going to work when he would, you know, get on the subway or get on, uh, you know, whatever public transportation, um, he, would, he would see what they call buskers. I think that's the right pronunciation. It's people who play instruments out in public places hoping you will tip them. And these buskers were there and people would just walk by and, and not see them um, or ignore them, not even really hear the music. Um, he wondered, what could people tell? Could people tell a qualitative difference between somebody who's just using their instrument to try to, you know, get food for the day and the best living musicians in the world? So what he did is he, uh, he arranged for the violinist named Joshua Bell, who is one of the most famous violinists in the world, um, plays literally in concert halls all around the world, New York, London, Moscow, St. Petersburg, Vienna, Prague, Paris, you get the idea. Uh, he plays all around the world, and his violin is a Stradivarius. Um, I think I'm pronouncing that right. If I'm not, forgive me. But this is a violin made in 1713. And the value of this violin, a few years back, it may be more now, I don't know. <clears throat> the, violin of this, the value of this violin <clears throat> was $3.2 million. And so the reporter asked Joshua Bell to take his multi-million dollar Stradivarius violin to the same place. And so uh, the entryway to one of the station plazas in Washington, D.C. was where they chose. And Joshua Bell, with his Stradivarius, went and stood in this plaza and he began to play uh, pieces that highlighted the violin that he had played in concert halls all around the world to the applause of thousands. And they set up cameras to see who had known what was going, if anyone stopped and noticed. No one noticed that the great, perhaps the greatest living violinist was playing one of the, perhaps the most valuable uh, violin uh, in the world right there in front of them. They did not know were they experiencing it? Yes. Were they hearing it? Yes. But without someone pointing it out, they were blind to what was happening right in front of them. So as they passed by, uh, the reporter had some of his assistants interrupt them and, at, and, and basically say this, we're going to be writing an article for the Post soon. Can we call you? And the people that many of the people agreed to it, and so they did. So they called them back, <clears throat> and um, they asked them. They asked them questions. They asked them questions like, um, "Did you notice anything when you were walking through the plaza on the day that I spoke with you?" <clears throat> All of these leading 
questions, trying to kind of suss out what was going on here, you know. And they asked these people these questions. <laughs> if a great musician plays great music and no one hears him, you, you see what this, where I'm going with this. Did it, was it really played? Um, <laughs> is beauty measurable? Is beauty simply a luxury? You see, no one expected the great, one of the greatest living violinists to be playing one of the most exquisite violins right in the ordinariness of their day. And so they missed it. Not because they weren't capable of hearing, but because they had nothing to pause their rush and arrest their attention. Do you see? Most of us are guilty of living that same way. It's not that we cannot perceive what God is doing. It's not that we are incapable of sensing His work in our life. It's more benign than that. It's, <laughs> it's shall we just say, most of us need an angel to tell us to look. If we have someone who awakens our attention and says, don't rush past this, God's doing something right here, right now, <clears throat> then we see. But in the busyness of our life, we cannot see how God takes ugly things and make them beautiful. Not because we're incapable, but because we just did not arrest our attention, pause our rush, and focus our spirits on what God is doing. I don't know what all God will bring good out of this. I've had a little bit of fun thinking about uh, good things that have come out of this social distancing. I, I want to be clear. Um, it's not good that thousands of people have died from this virus around the world. It's not good that uh, millions of people have been sick around the world. These are not good things. The issue is not, is it good in itself? <clears throat> the issue is, could good things come from it? Well, I've had some, you know, I've, as, I've, as I've mentioned, I had some fun with this. And the first thing I thought was, I know the dogs of the world have been very happy the last few weeks because they're not left in the house alone. Um, if you have pets, they're probably glad not to be there alone unless they're antisocial pets. And then they probably wish you would leave. Um, if you think about good things that have happened, uh, they are there. I, I will say this, generosity and community community-mindedness has spiked in many ways. Um, even, even corporations and, and organizations that you don't think of as being generous, they've used this situation to be a generous. Um, uh, one of the most famous sports teams in the world, um, the soccer team Chelsea in, um, in the UK, actually uh, made their millennial, they have a hotel called Millennium Hotel, they opened it up for free to healthcare workers who were working so many shifts they, they, they couldn't go home or they were having to quarantine. That's just an example of a company you wouldn't expect doing something. Doing something. Uh, the luxury brand LVMH um, shut down all their perfume factories and converted them to hand sanitizer factories and have given it away for free. Um, there's been some... Maybe not everywhere, certainly not in politics. Our politics are as ugly as ever, but in so many of the other arena of arenas of our life, a lot of good, good things have happened. Um, some of you are more rested than you've been in a long, long time because you 
uh, cut out of your life a lot of your social stress. That might be a sign that you've allowed yourself to take on too much social stress. Another, uh, others of you are more rested because you're not commuting. I think there may be a change in the future um, to our workforce structure where it might be more possible to at least have some days where you work remotely. That may be a good thing. Um, if you have children and they haven't driven you absolutely crazy, um, you've been blessed to be able to spend a lot of time with those children. You're probably sleeping in more. It's a beautiful thing to sleep in. Um, there's a lot of things that can come out of this <clears throat> that, can, that can be good. Family time is way up <laughs> for obvious reasons. Um, some of our treadmill of, you know, shift work, you know, nine to five or nine to six, however you do it, it you may be on a different schedule, but you understand what I'm saying. That gets you on this treadmill where everything else gets compressed. And maybe there's been some lessons for you that have come out of this. Um, Hand-washing habits are much better now. <laughs> that's, that's a good thing. Um, interestingly, uh, some of the wars that have been going around the world have kind of cooled off since this happened. Um, uh, civil conflicts in Yemen, uh, civil conflicts in Libya. Uh, since this happened, they have, they have cooled off substantially. Um, uh, between the various contested provinces, between the the Ukraine and Russia-backed rebels, um, those have cooled off. Um, so many things good has come out, uh, out of this. I want to point out one thing that just, I hope, reminds you that in this year of politics, because we're going into an election this year, and all the frustration and anger and ugliness that can be in a political, um, I call it silly season, um, I want to remind you uh, not to get too sucked up into that. Um, politics can, can, can bring out ugliness in people that's really not reflective of who they are. It's just who they are when they're scared and tribal. Because uh, one of the realities of our time is that our politics have become more tribal than ever. Um, and it's not, even, it's not even a pursuit of truth anymore. It's just which team are you for? And then we'll do anything, lie, whatever, uh, manipulate, coerce, anything for our team. These things ought not to be in the church, ought not to be caught up in these things. I want to remind you that even people who are on the other side of a debate from you may have good hearts. They, they see from a different perspective, but they may have a very good hearts. So let me end with uh, one little uh, evidence of this. Um, it's easy to see the world cynically. It's easy to see the world in fear and anxiety and tribal. Um, but I, I want you to see that um, a lot of people were willing to do something to help the vaccines that we're trying to come up with so the world can get past this sickness. And there was an organization started, um, a campaign entitled One Day Sooner. And basically they, was, the whole thing was organized around people um, knowing how hard it was to find volunteers for phase uh, one, two, and three trials on humans because there's a risk that when they put this in you, you may get the virus. Um, and you're risking a lot to be uh, in this program. And they were looking for people who would sign up for this. And I, 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 wanna, I found out here recently, almost 25,000 people um, around the world have signed up to be a volunteer, that they're willing to be sick for all of us. 
They're willing to go through perhaps horrible symptoms of sickness and flu-like symptoms and worse. They're, they're, they're willing to risk their life to speed up a vaccine so the people who are too weak, for the people who would die, can live. Think about that. As cynical as our world seems, 25,000 people have signed up willing to be sick so you won't have to be sick. I think that's a beautiful reminder <clears throat> that it's not all doom and gloom and despair. And there is um, an ability for God to bring good things out, out of tragedy. All right, I love you. Let's pray together real quick and then uh, we'll finish up. Lord, I pray you would be with everyone who is um, seeking to know you and serve you in the middle of tough times. We as a church, we are experiencing this and uh, what some of our earlier generations have gone through is much harder than what we're going through. But even so, Lord, anxiety can be real. Fear can be real. It's difficult to lose a job. It's difficult to be in financial straits. These things are difficult, whether you're uh, laid off or you're actively looking for a job uh, because you don't have one. Lord, these things can be difficult. There can be fear. Uh, there can be anxiety, worry. Lord Jesus, help us to be reminded that you make all things new and you do all things well and you will bring us through this to a new day of hope and joy. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. I want to remind you, you don't have to be at church to repent. If you haven't repented in a while, I'd like you to use your couch as an altar and I'd like you to repent right there. I would like to remind you, we are still baptizing people. If you have not taken on that name that's above all names, uh, we will make accommodations to, in a safe and appropriate manner, uh, baptize you. Uh, we are still baptizing people. And finally, I want to remind you, you can receive the gift of the Holy Spirit right in your home. Right in your home. There's no need for you to think, oh, you can't receive a blessing like that. You don't need nine people around you. You can receive the Holy Spirit right in your home. People are doing it right now. Remember the online survey that's uh, up as you're watching this. Please go. We're trying to figure out what our crowd size is going to be, how to best serve you. Um, we're trying to determine things uh, as far as Sunday school, ushering, how many service we says we do, and the like. We love you. Thank you for listening to First Church Charlotte. If this podcast has blessed you, please rate it with four or five stars. By doing so, you will help others find our free podcast and bless them. If you're in the Charlotte, North Carolina area, come worship with us at 4929 North Sharon Amity Road. For information about service times, church ministries, and so much more, visit us online at firstchurchclt.com. If you would like to help support our efforts, please text GIVE to 704-445-5353. We pray God's richest blessings to you. Come worship with us.